It's time to rock your midlife with Dr. Ellen Albertson. Are you ready to get real, break through, and learn how to make your midlife the best time of your life? Take on those life challenges and turn them into opportunities? Let's rock. Here's Dr. Ellen. Hey, everybody. Dr. Ellen here, the Midlife Whisperer. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife. If you're a new listener, thank you so much for joining us. And if you're returning, I really appreciate you being here. If you're enjoying the show, please leave me a review. Let me know the kind of guests you'd like to hear. You can also reach me at themidlifewhisperer.com. That's themidlifewhisperer.com. And I am thrilled to be on the air today. I have two amazing women and all month long, I am going to be talking about breast cancer because October where we are recording is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And it's an annual campaign to raise awareness about the impact of breast cancer. And I am living proof that early detection saves lives. So this month I'll be talking with experts and survivors and sharing information about the importance of breast cancer screening and support. And I wanna say that is also really inspirational. So if you know cancer like me is not, is not on your vision board, you're not thinking about it very much, there's gonna be great information about how you can reduce your risk, how you can support your friends. I mean, let's face it, one out of eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. We, we all know people who are in a battle for their lives and we don't always know the best thing to do and what to say. And today I'm talking with two amazing survivors who turned a deadly diagnosis into a business that helps others. Michelle Beck, who founded Breast Breast Friends, love that name, and Liz Bennett, who became, I'm sorry, who became an entrepreneur and created the Bomb Box. And so I want to share a little bit about my story. If you've been following me on social media and listening to the podcast, you know that I haven't been shy about my diagnosis. I literally was diagnosed April 12th on my son's 21st birthday, about three weeks into starting the podcast. And I had a year contract with Voice America. So it was I like my my psyche was like, oh my God, you don't want to be doing a podcast right now. You're battling breast cancer. But you know, it was a great way for me to pull myself together every week and give to others and share. And it's been an amazing experience. And I'm really here to say that cancer can happen to anybody. I am the healthiest person I know. I am a registered dietitian. I'm a board certified health and wellness coach. I eat probably 10 to 15 servings of vegetables every day. I move my body. I do all the things. I nursed two children for three years, separately, of course, but you know, I did all the things. But I discovered two things about myself. Um, one, I have a BRCA mutation. And so that is a mutation, a gene mutation that actually increases your risk of breast cancer, even though I have no family history. That was something that I discovered after my diagnosis. And the other thing is that I have what's called dense breasts. And I think this is something that was certainly new to me. And I think a new to a lot of people out there, you know, a couple of years ago, I got this letter that was like, you have dense breasts. So you should have this breast density ultrasound. And I'm thinking, um, I have no family history. I'm so low risk. Like it's not going to happen to me. And my mammogram was negative in October of, um, 2021, my breast cancer, which was the size of a dime, super small, but still category five, which means likely um, cancer, um, was found with a breast density ultrasound, which is totally painless. I'm, I'm here to say two mammograms 
they don't hurt. They're easy to do, a little uncomfortable, but so well worth it. And I'm here to say that early detection does save lives. And while my breast cancer experience hasn't exactly been fun, um, it's been a walk in the park compared to people who I've met who have stage three, stage four. I did not lose my breasts. I did um, have a lumpectomy, which means they removed the tumor. I was doing my 10,000 steps the next day because I'm in great shape. Had radiation. The hardest part of radiation, frankly, was driving to and from the hospital every day because I live an hour away from the hospital and I live on an island and there's a drawbridge. So I had to time it to make sure I wasn't going to get stuck. Um, And it didn't, radiation didn't hurt. It was actually kind of my moment of Zen, just sort of lying there and, um, you know, just having to hold my breath, which is something you have to do. And now I am doing an immunotherapy. I have HER2 positive breast cancer. So I'm taking something called Herceptin. I am doing a boatload of alternative and complementary care, taking amazing uh, care of myself. Um, And, you know, I'm here to say early detection makes it so much easier. So get that mammogram, get that mammogram. And I want to talk a little bit too about um, some things you can do for prevention. So you can reduce your risk by eating more plants and Let's face it, eating more plants is a win-win. It helps with everything from giving you great skin and great energy, reducing your cancer risk, reducing your risk of heart disease, lowering your blood pressure. So just start by eating more plants. Just set an intention like I'm going to eat one more serving of plants every day for the next month and then make it two and try to just place some of the meat that you eat with plant-based proteins, like maybe that veggie burger or maybe having a tofu stir fry. So eating more plants, exercising, don't need to do CrossFit, don't need to run a marathon. 30 minutes of walking every day is awesome. I just got myself a rebounder, which I love, a trampoline. I jump up and down for 10 minutes here and there throughout my day, but exercise really does reduce your risk. If you're smoking, stop. I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer as well. Um, avoid or limit your alcohol consumption. You should be having no more than a drink a day and sleep well. And if you want to know how to sleep well, listen to last week's podcast. I think it was episode 27. I, I had a great sleep expert on. We talked all about sleep, but I'm realizing, my goodness, sleep is like the most important thing. And I know that I haven't always, and I'm I'm not the best sleeper. And that's one of the health things that I'm working on. And none of these things really cost anything and it could reduce your risk and just make you healthier and enjoy your midlife more. So let's dig in with our first guest. She is Michelle Beck. She is a sister on so many levels, a breast cancer survivor like me. She's a silver sister and we both have podcasts, radio shows on Voice America. So, so much that we have in common. She is a two-time 10-year survivor of breast cancer. In 2017, she founded Breast Friends of Oregon to volunteer and found support that she did not know that she needed. In early 2019, she was hired as the patient program's assistant and now also hosts Breast Friends Cancer Support Network podcast, which I will be on, I think, in November. Yes. In her, her free time, she enjoys exploring with her husband, Nate, their son, Jackson, and dogs, Apollo and Thor. She loves reading books and watching movies and is obsessed with true crime and paranormal podcasts. Her second journey with breast cancer has led to her to a new career, both as a breast cancer advocate working on a book to tell her story and speaking to audiences about how to move forward in the face of life's trials. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife, 
Michelle, so good to have you here. Thank you so much, Dr. Ellen. And I do need to do one quick correction in my bio. It says I found Breast Friends. I didn't found it. I wish I did. So Breast Friends has actually been around for 22 years. Um, They were founded by Sharon Hennepin and Becky Olson. But you know what? All press is good press. So we're going to just go forward with that. And that was my wrong. I I put the ED on that. Found support through them. So it's breast uh, you, you found, the I, I walked into breast, breast friends as a volunteer. Oh, that's so great. yeah, I have that here in Vermont. No, unfortunately it's a local organization that was founded here in Tigard, Oregon, outside of Portland by two women who were diagnosed pretty close in time together. And they worked together. They weren't even like besties, but they were just like, huh, we were both diagnosed with breast cancer and there's, there's no support out there for the time after you go through it. Because at 20 years ago, there just wasn't, you would go through, you would have your treatment and then your oncology would team would say you're done and you, you leave. And then you're supposed to go back to normal. Well, as we all know, there is no normal after a cancer diagnosis. And so they founded breast friends and the organization has been around for 22 years. And I, after my second diagnosis, I was lost. I just, it was really challenging for me. I had a young son, he was five and he was in kindergarten at the time. And I was like, oh, well now what do I do? Cause I had been a stay at home mom, which was one of my prior, one of my joys in life, which I want to, I want to get back to how so many of the joys in my life actually have come from midlife. So we'll talk about that. I'm sure. But um, yeah, so breast friends is an amazing organization and they've really helped me move forward and find a whole new career for myself afterwards that I'm so passionate about. So before we launched your story more, I'm curious, how did you deal with the aftermath? I went to a a conference here um, in Vermont sponsored by the University of Vermont Medical Center Women's Health and and Cancer Conference. And I heard so many stories of people living in fear, living in this, this idea of, you know, ambiguous grief, ambiguous loss. And that's something I'm really curious about now that I'm in it. You're right. It's always, it's always in the back of my mind. I want to go through these periods where I just let it go and I don't worry about it, but I've made some significant lifestyle changes. I've flattened my workaholic. I've given up alcohol, sugar, grains, not that you have to do all of those things. My lifestyle is pretty, pretty healthy beforehand, but I know I've made some changes. How do you deal with this idea that, you know, cancer is always in the back of my mind. I'm always kind of thinking about it a little bit and, and this fear. And, you know, I know a lot of people are dealing with things like um, survivor guilt, you know, you're going through it and you've lost friends and thinking, why am I still here? How do you deal with the aftermath? Sure. So I just always had a thought in the back of my head. I do have a family history. My grandmother passed from metastatic breast cancer nine years ago. And I, for some reason, I just always knew that it was going to happen to me. We do not have a genetic history but I, I watched her go through that three times and it was always just somewhere like, wow, you really need to be proactive. And I am also a poster child for early detection. Both of my very small stage one tumors were caught on mammograms. So I, I was proactive, but when it finally happened, I was like, okay, I can't, I can handle this. My son wasn't even two at the time I was 41. And I'm like, you know, this, I've got this technology has improved. There are so many wonderful things out there. I'm incredibly lucky. I have the most treatable form of breast cancer, ERPR positive, HER2 negative with the best studies, results, et cetera. So I opted for a lumpectomy and radiation and four years of tamoxifen. 
that was until my next diagnosis. It should have been longer, but I, I actually kind of just, I, I compartmentalized it and I moved forward because at the time I was so focused on raising my son. And I also have four older stepkids and taking care of my house and my family and my dogs. I just kind of put it away which I don't know how I did. I look back on it and I was like, wow, I was, I was pretty, pretty proud of myself. But then when I was diagnosed the second time, four years later, it literally was like my balloon busted and I was broken because at that point I was like, wow, if, if I can get it again, well, I can get it again and again and again, because that's what happened to my grandmother. And I really thought that I was, I was, I was done for at that time even though again, I was stage one, same type of cancer. It was a little more aggressive, but I, I went through treatment at that point. I opted to have a bilateral mastectomy with reconstruction. I had my ovaries and um, uterus removed pretty much all the things that I could take out of my body, which identified me as a woman to society standards were gone. Mm -hmm. And that was really challenging. I, I, the only person I knew in my immediate circle who had gone through it was my mother-in-law and she was pretty private about it, even though she did help me quite a bit, but she was able to have an easier treatment path and move on. And 12 years later, she's doing great. But for me, it was, my son is only five at this time. This came back again. What do, what do I do and how do I get through this? And I went into a huge spiral of depression and anxiety and fear. I tried to work at my son's school because I needed to do something. And due to the pain in my body, I couldn't. I couldn't move forward. It, it Literally, I quit after three days. I'm very fortunate that I live right by Breast Friends. And I'm like, I'm going to go do something. I'm going to volunteer. And the moment I walked in the door to volunteer, I realized I needed support. And it's been five years and I essentially have never left because they gave me connection and community and education that I didn't know that I needed. And it literally turned my life around. So what advice would you give someone who's listening and has said, you know, and I think that happens, we go through the journey, right, of, of fighting the breast cancer or whatever, whatever term you want to make. For me, it was more of a, I don't like the term fighting. I like the term, you know, healing my body. Mm -hmm. getting, you know, getting everything back in balance, but we go through all the treatment and we're done. We ring a little bell and then you're like, and then, you know, the support sort of drops off with people who've been bringing you meals and supporting yes. you. And so what advice would you give someone who feels like, okay, now I'm through treatment, but I don't feel like I'm okay. 100% find a community of people who understand because I had a wonderful support system with my, my husband, my friends, family, everyone was taking care of me in terms of my meals and my house cleaning and getting me to my appointments, but it weren't, wasn't taking care of my emotions and being able to find a community of women who understood exactly what I was going through. They got the fact that I was having pain and I couldn't move my arms and it, life had just exploded for me and they understood. And by sharing the trauma, it lessens it and they're ahead of me in their journeys. And so they can be like, yes, we've made it through this. This is how we did it. And it's literally just like following in the path of the others who have gone before you and they stay. And which is why I've stayed because I want to help women who come after me because 
finding an organization like this. So hundred percent, and you can even find places during treatment. We also support women during treatment, but there are Facebook groups out there. There are in-person groups now that we are coming out of the pandemic to find support. That is the biggest thing. Find people who get it. Yeah, that's huge. With this conference that I went to, one of the four pillars um, that she talked about was connection. Yes. And how incredibly important it is to connect. And a lot of people, even in the room, as they were sharing their stories, were like, oh my gosh, she feels the way that I do. And she's been through this too. And I think whatever you're going through, whether it's breast cancer or something else, that connection is so important. And I love the way that you are now utilizing um, your experience to help other women, myself included, right? Because I'm I'm a newbie to all of this. I'm only, you know, five months in mm-hmm. to give people advice. And also sometimes we just, we need that touch. We need that hug, especially now that we're getting out of these pandemic times that you could yes. just get a hug that you can feel whole, even as you said, when you have lost some of some parts of your physicality, you're still you and you're still whole and you need touch and hugs. Um, so I love that you are, you're doing that. And also of course, doing your podcast. So how do you find joy in your midlife, you know, given everything you've been through? Yes. So I, I consider myself a bit of a late bloomer in finding so much joy. I, in my twenties and thirties, I was really focusing on my career. I was a, a paralegal at a high-end law firm right out of college. And I did that for years and then I became a chief level executive assistant. So I worked my butt off for quite a long time. And then I, I wanted something else out of life. I wanted a family. I wanted a husband and I was in Los Angeles and living a different life. And I was like, screw it. I quit my job. I traveled for six months and I moved up to Portland, Oregon where, and I found a job up here and I met my husband six weeks later. So it is very interesting how it turned out. But so for me, the biggest joys in my life have come in my midlife, meeting my husband, having my son. So, or yes, I met my husband at 37, married at 39 and my son at 41. And then I had my cancer diagnoses also at 41 and 46. I I can't do math, but then the second cancer diagnosis really gave me a whole new path, I guess I want to say. And it brings me so much joy because on the podcast, which I host breast friends, cancer support network, got to throw in that plug there. It allows me to give hope and inspiration, which is all that if I can help one woman I consider myself a success. And it's just so amazing to be able to be that person that someone looks up to and that I can give information to and allow them to get through their journey easier. And I love that you did a shift because I think so often when I'm working with midlife women, they feel really stuck. They're doing the same old, same old, getting the same results and wondering, you know, what do I do? And often they're staying in a job because of the paycheck. They're living in an area because there's family there. And I love that you had the courage to say, you know, screw it. This life isn't working for me. I'm going to do a completely different thing. I'm going to take some time off. I'm going to travel. It takes a lot of of moxie. You know, it's funny. I look back on it now and I was like, wow, that was pretty ballsy. But at the time it was necessary. I had been working my butt off for a solid 10 years for um, a very busy entrepreneur traveling. We did so many things and it was a great career and I made wonderful money, but I wasn't fulfilled. 
And I was fortunate enough after I moved here and I I worked here for three years before I became a stay-at-home mom. But then when he was off to school, I was like, Ooh, now what do I do? And I was really experiencing that. I mean, the, the midlife crisis, as you want to say, like, what do I do now? And I had read, I literally have another midlife book here, but I've also just ordered yours. So I can read that before our connection on my show, but it, I really, this has filled me up so much and it's given me a whole new career path for the rest of my life, which I so enjoy. It's so important to just get started. So if you're feeling really stuck again, which is something that I think we do at midlife, we're so dug in. And I think we also have, we've got more responsibilities. We've got more stressors. Um, we also are a lot more afraid. I think when you're, you know, when you're in your twenties, it's like, I got my whole life ahead of me. I can do whatever I can travel. I can meet new people. I don't have to sort of settle down. It can be really, really tough. So your story is really inspirational. Just both saying, screw it. I'm going to go and I'm going to live in a different part of the country. And I love Portland, Oregon, by the way, it's a fabulous city, but I'm going to, you know, travel, live somewhere else, you know, go for that dream of marrying somebody and being a mom and having this different life. But then also we're realizing when you, when your um, son went to school, like I need to fill this hole and do mm-hmm. something. I'm not going to sit home all day and, you know, watch soap operas and actually putting yourself out there and finding something to do. And then eventually, you know, finding um, breast friends and being able to eventually volunteer and then starting the podcast. How did the podcast get started? How did that happen? Well, I wish I could say that I started that. Becky and Sharon did start it in 2016 and I took over in early 2021. Unfortunately, Becky has since passed from metastatic breast cancer. So every show I host is in in honor of her and her memory. But she basically asked one day, do you want to co-host? I'm like, well, that sounds fabulous. And we never got to, but so I just kind of jumped in one day, scared to death, sweating like crazy. And now a year and a half later, you can't shut me up. So it's been, you know, we've got gosh, 360 episodes now, I think. And so it's, it's definitely an honor. And I love talking to people who've gone. My favorite are people who've gone through it and then done something fabulous with their cancer journey and what comes out on the other side, because they also want to give back. That's so cool. I don't know. And I'll be on, going to be on your show as well. And I'm really excited to talk about it, but I don't know if I've done anything, you know, fabulous yet because of it, although I'm going to work on a book, um, around, what I feel is missing and what I can contribute to support people. But the biggest thing for me so far is I think I alluded to it is flattening my workaholic. Yes. I was such a friggin' workaholic. I, it's not that I work 60 hours a day. It's just that I needed certain things to happen in my work. I needed things to happen. I needed more followers. I was like this voracious appetite for more followers, make more money, always a launch, always a book, always a radio show. And um, the cancer has been a real gift for me because I flatten that workaholic. And what's ironic is I'm getting amazing opportunities to do incredible things that were kind of on my vision board um, since I've let that workaholic go. And I'm doing things much more in connection with the universe and also just have such a deep appreciation of how beautiful my life is. Like I'm engaged to an amazing man and I live on this beautiful island and I'm having so much fun. I mean, yesterday we rode our tandem bicycle around the island with, you know, we just having a blast. And I think the cancer diagnosis is this wake up call that, that anybody can have that you realize that the best time of your life is now your whole life is in front of you, but you're, you're, you're more immortal. 
Yes. And I a hundred percent agree. Cancer is a wake up call. And I definitely was not as healthy as you or as intentional of what I put in my body, but it, I've definitely, I've really changed that because I'm 51 and I have an 11 year old son. I need to be around for a long time. So I need to do the best things I can to be healthier because it's so important. As you said, what goes into your body, but also your environment and stress is a huge, huge precursor to many a cancer diagnosis. We don't, we don't always know where they come from, but stress activates the cells in our body and not in a good way. So being able to appreciate life more after a diagnosis, I think is huge. And I'm not one who actually says cancer is a gift, but it has brought so many good things into my life that I don't say that I wish it didn't happen. Yeah. As one survivor said at this conference that I went to, she's like, it, it puts your worst crap in front of you. You see all the worst parts of yourself come to the surface and you have to work on those things that aren't working in your life. Um, and it, you know, it chisels you in a certain way and may as well, why not make the best of it since there's nothing you really can do, but stress is really at the core of all dis-ease really. It is what happens when we're stressed. We, our cortisol levels go up, inflammation goes up. And it's so interesting too, because we're so stressed out, but we're totally safe. Most of the stress that we have for people who are listening to this is probably around, you know, the day-to-day stuff, getting caught in traffic, having a fight with your spouse, you know, worry, worries about loved ones, parents, all of those things that we have so much at midlife. So uh, we have uh, two minutes left. What is next for you? What career plans do you have? And where do you see yourself in five years? So I, I love the organization Breast Friends that I work for, and I definitely want to continue promoting what they do. Our mission is to ensure that no one goes through cancer alone, but we, we support women. So, but for me, myself, I am finishing my own book and it's, I never liked pink and everything else that cancer taught me. And it's memoir ish, but in not linear in any way, but really all the different things that I have gone through because of cancer and the things that I learned from it. So I just want to share that. And honestly, I want to be on stage. I want to be someone who can go on a tour and talk about, you know, cancer sucks, but these are the great things that happen in a fun comedic kind of way. And obviously to continue podcasting, because I just love to talk. I'm, I'm a true born Leo and I really like to be the center of attention. So (laughs) I just, any way that I can put myself out there, but that also helps other people. Well, I can't wait to connect more with you because I have a Leo rising and my Mars is in Leo and I Mm -hmm. have, um, my North node is in either my North or South node is in Leo. So I I totally get that being on stage, but doesn't it feel different when you're on stage because you want to help people versus I need to be seen. And I I think that was a big switch for me. I never in a million years would have imagined that I wanted to be up there on stage with a microphone in my hand, talking to the whole room. And now I get to, well, I I emcee our annual luncheon, which I'm going to do a quick shout out. We have, in Portland, if you're in the Portland area, please go to breastfriends.org and check out our events page. The only luncheon supporting breast cancer awareness is going on through Breast Friends on October 29th. So please check it out. But honestly, I never thought that this would be something that is my thing, but I'm so passionate about it now. And I just want to help other women. And if I can do that by sharing my crazy stories, I'm hundred percent there. Great talking with you. In a moment, we're going to be talking with Liz Bendit who is a senior marketing executive. She has had four different cancers over the course of eight years, and she has created a fabulous um, 
website and product called The Bomb Box. So stick with us. We'll be talking with her after the break. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Midlife can be challenging. You may be sandwiched between growing kids and aging parents, dealing with menopause, and trying to find work-life balance. Or maybe your life looks good on the outside, but inside you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed and wondering how to get your confidence and joy back. You need someone to help you get real, discover who you are, and navigate life. Hi, I'm Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer, and I'm here to help. I've worked with hundreds of midlife women, went from surviving to thriving at midlife myself, and literally wrote the book on this pivotal time period, Rock Your Midlife, Seven Steps to Transform Yourself and Make Your Next Chapter Your Best Chapter. Think of me as the one-stop shop for all your midlife needs. I'm a psychologist, nutritionist, and board-certified health and wellness coach with 30 years of experience empowering midlife women. I provide nutrition consults, life coaching, and free resources to help you transform your body, your mind, your career, and your relationships. Feeling stuck? I can help you figure out how to live authentically with joy, passion, and purpose. Every Wednesday here on Voice America, live from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I share my passion for making the most of midlife and my expertise on the most pressing midlife issues from changing family relationships, managing stress, and securing enough resources to rediscovering yourself. I also interview experts from around the world to help you navigate your life. For more information, please visit my website, themidlifewhisperer.com, for fabulous resources, including my free gift, 10 Tips to Rock Your Midlife. That's themidlifewhisperer.com. Hope to see you there soon. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Rock Your Midlife with Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. Have a question for Dr. Ellen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here again is Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. Hey, it's Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. And before the break, we were talking with Michelle Beck, who is so inspirational. I hope you enjoyed that um, part of the show today. And now we're going to be shifting gears a little bit. We are being we are going to talk with Liz Bendit, and she is a senior marketing executive with 25 plus years professional marketing experience. After enduring four different cancers over the course of eight years, She leveraged her experience as both a marketer and cancer patient to launch 
thebombbox.com, which is a site featuring functional self-care and gift packages for cancer patients. In addition to her role as president and CEO of The Bomb Box, Liz teaches undergraduate marketing courses at the University of Kansas School of Business, and she's a public school and community service advocate serving on leadership boards for National Charity League for Greater Kansas City and the Mainstream Coalition. She lives in Kansas City with her husband, two teenage kids, and one terrible dog. Welcome to Rocky Midlife, Liz. <laughs> Thanks for having me. We're, we are we all are dog lovers here. And what kind of dog do you have? I know that Michelle I, said you've got a you've got a golden lab and a I have a uh, golden and a black lab. And a black lab and I have yep, a border collie. I'm part what of the lab have? crowd. We have a we have a rescue lab who is the laziest, fattest dog you've ever met. She counter surfs. She her goal is always she'll eat entire <laughs> sticks of butter, including the wrapper. Um, at one time. So talk about like, I really, really, really bad for you. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. We'd be in traffic for her. She's, you know, she's our third child, but she's awful. Yeah, I totally get that. I had a um, Portuguese water dog who was so food obsessed. You could not leave anything. I once, you know, chased her across the house. She stole a pork chop. So before yeah. we dive into... In fact, the dog trainer calls that food motivated. Yep. <laughs> and I think it's just so funny because I'm like, well, you know, if you give me enough peanut M&Ms, I might, I might be food motivated too. So it's all good. I might jump across the counter for that too. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So before we dive into talking about you and your business, I know you've got a question for Michelle. Yeah. So, you know, you work with so many cancer patients and I am in some ways, you know, I try to participate in a lot of different online communities for cancer, women with breast cancer. And one of the things that I see a lot of are women and it's my interpretation and I could totally be wrong. So I'm really curious what you think, but I think especially older women who automatically knee jerk into whatever their surgeon says their treatment plan should be, they automatically take it as gospel and they don't take a hot set to look at alternatives and to think about um, the the options that they have, because a lot of times there are choices and being dictated to, I maybe it gives them a sense of confidence. It's possible, right? Being told this is what you have to do. It, there's nothing to think about perhaps is an easier way to think about things. But my experience, of course, I'm really good at getting cancer, <laughs> having it four different times. And I think one of the things I've learned, right, is that you have choices and that doctors, um, there's as much science as art, right, to developing those treatment plans. And my sense is that a lot of times women are really afraid to look at alternatives. I'm curious if you see that in your oh. work. Definitely, Liz. That is such an important question. And there's so many parts of that to unpack. When myself included, when I was diagnosed, as I'm sure you know, your head explodes, you can't hear anything. It's like, wah, 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 wah. And you really want, you go into the doctor in the white coat and there's something called good patient syndrome, where you want to listen to everything that they say and, and, and go forward. Like it's gospel. Like they are the ones they know the right way. And yes, while you say, and as you said, it's, there are choices out there. So one thing I really talk about to the people in our groups and on the podcast is 100% to be your own advocate and to get a second and a third opinion. If it doesn't make sense to you, because so many of the things we're learning that we've never heard these terms before you're in those first few appointments and you're hearing words that make absolutely no sense to you. But like you said, I do feel like it is more with a, an 
older generation of women, because the most common women who do get diagnosed with breast cancer, which is what I work with are in their sixties and seventies, but the women who are more you looking out for support usually are the younger women because they're more open to talking about things, Mm -hmm. but no, I a hundred percent agree. And that's something that I always really talk about is pull in integrative medicine, find a good naturopath, use, use acupuncture, use different kinds of, of myofascial therapy and physical therapy, try different supplements. Um, like I fully believe in Western medicine, but I want things to be complemented with the integrative medicine and all the other options that are out there. And it's just, I, so yes, I a hundred percent see that. And it's really just over and over, be your own advocate, ask questions. If it doesn't make sense or it doesn't feel right to you, just keep asking questions. That's the best advice that I can give. Yeah. The research really shows that when you advocate for yourself and you create your own treatment plan, you actually have a better outcome and doing things more conservatively. I found myself that I went into that tunnel of fear when we go into fear, we turn off our brain we, you know, we're told and they, they put you in this, you know, this, um, uh, roller coaster of like, do these things, boom, boom. So for me, it was like surgery, radiation, and they wanted to do chemo. Um, and I refused the chemo and no, none of my cans, none of my doctors got the idea that I have a BRCA mutation, which means that I need none of my conventional doctors. They were all like, well, that's a different cancer. We don't care. They're only interested in clobbering that can the cancer that is on the plate at the moment. They're not interested in your overall, I would say all, but I found that that was the focus and they're, you know, so I went outside the box and I have a um, osteopathic doctor. I have an integrated medical doctor. I have a naturopath. Um, and, you know, I, I put my well-being as my barometer of whether or not to do treatment, but it is, it happens to most women get into this, this fear funnel and they don't advocate for themselves. They do. And I think they also, a lot of times I think doctors can misplace statistics. Like I, for me, when I was done with my, um, my breast cancer was my last cancer in 2017. And that, and that after I was done with my surgery and radiation treatment, um, they said, okay, well, if you go on hormone therapy, you have, um, you'll cut your odds of recurrence by 50%, which sounds like a lot, but, um, for, First of all, I asked, okay, well, is that true of premenopausal women? Because I'm younger than the average, um, you know, I, I was diagnosed in my early 40s and um, and I was not had not gone through menopause and didn't really want to put myself into menopause without, unless I had to, right? And um, they Plus said, that affects your bone health. Sounds, right, it sounds like a lot. And so I said, okay, well, what what is what are my odds of recurrence? Well, they're about 15%. So if you go from 15 to seven and a half, like, that didn't feel like enough of a value to me relative to the other downsides, right? That go with hormone therapy. So I did what you did, Dr. Long. I said, okay, well, I went to my surgeon, I went to my radiation oncologist, and I said, I, I don't want to do this. So what are my alternatives? And instead, I just have additional follow-up care. So instead of getting a mammogram once a year, I get a mammogram once a year, and once a year I get a a really crazy MRI thing where you they MRI your boobs. It's very, very weird. You like been there. Oh yeah. Been yeah. there, done that. <laughs> you stick your boobs in the thing and like, you know, you just kind of like, whatever people are manhandling your boobs and you're kind of over it. Um, but yeah, like, dude, I'll do that once a year. No problem. Right. Like that it's, that is infinitely better to me than all the downsides of the hormone therapy. But I, it's only because I questioned it and asked, I get that the standard of care is to do it. But when you force the conversation and say, well, I'm choosing not to. So what are our choices now? And I was really lucky in that 
not even necessarily lucky. I interviewed, I chose my doctor, my, my healthcare team, um, specifically because I wanted people that would engage me in the conversation about my treatment plan and that wouldn't just dictate, be a little medical dictators, right? I was, but I learned, right? I learned that from my three prior cancers. So other people don't have that benefit. And I, to a certain extent, those three cancers were a huge benefit. Yeah. So tell us about your, the other three. So your final one was breast cancer that you, that was 2017, yeah. but you had three cancers before that. Tell us about I those. Did. So the first one was in 2009 and I had uh, melanoma and it was caught my baby. And I, you know, we're all mothers, right? So you can't, you, I count things by the age of my children more than my own age. So my son was one and my daughter was three. And um, it was one of those crazy things where it was diagnosed I on a I went in for a bio, I went in, my mom nagged me because she saw this mole in my leg and she's like, you've got to go, you've got to go. And I blew her off and I blew her off. And finally I went, right. So I went to the dermatologist. They looked at this little mole in my leg. She took it off on a Friday. She called me on a Tuesday and said, it's melanoma. I'm going to make an appointment with the surgeon, whatever you have going on, you need to go to this appointment. Um, and between Tuesday, that, that phone call, I had surgery that Friday. And it was just this race against the clock because melanoma is such a fast moving cancer. They, um, once it's diagnosed, they get, they get you in there. Um, everything stops and it was, um, and how to spread to my lymph nodes. I wouldn't be here right now. Um, I was very, very lucky. It was caught, you know, enough early enough that they, it wasn't, didn't spread. And, um, that was like a crazy week of my life. And theoretically you're supposed to just move on from it, which as Michelle knows, it's really, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of compact trauma in there. Um, but you, I tried, right. And again, I've got two little toddlers at home, but a little need machines and you just kind of move on. I made everyone slather up in sunscreen. I made my kids miserable for the rest of their lives because they can't go no bikinis, must wear swim shirts and big floppy hats and, and all the good stuff. Um, and then you fast forward 11 months and I um, actually um, started doing breast mammograms early because my mom had breast cancer. So at 35, they asked me to start doing uh, mammograms. My very first mammogram, they saw something they didn't like and had it biopsied. And while I was doing the um, appointment to have that biopsied, they, um, the breast cancer surgeon um, started, she was feeling me up, right, as they do, the hands. And then the hands started moved, traveling up to my neck and she found a lump in my neck, which turned out to be thyroid cancer. And I had absolutely no symptoms. I was completely fine. But, um, and at the time, by the way, the breast thing they found um, was nothing. And that was thyroid cancer. And in thyroid cancer, I was like, okay, so, you know, it's Monday. So should we, should I plan our, our surgery for Friday? And then you learn, oh no, this isn't a fast moving cancer. And we want you to do these 8 billion labs and um, so, you know, so we'll get you in, in the next six to eight weeks. And so this idea of living with cancer for two months was just crazy, but it was a gift, right? Because I was able to plan and you were able to organize and get, you know, food and, um, rides and childcare and all that stuff organized. And it wasn't like I just left my team hanging when, um, then I could plan for it and projects at work and whatnot weren't left in the middle of things. Like it was just, it was much more convenient, right. To be able to organize. Um, that but still that worry and, that you have as you're sort of living with this. I couldn't wait. I was diagnosed April totally. 12th and I had my surgery on May 5th. So I was happy to just get the biopsy. Re- yeah, three weeks I think great. sounds about right. The yeah. six to eight was rough, right? That was a long time to kind of like agonize over it. Um, and unfortunately I fell into a teeny tiny um, percentage of patients that um, have this 
crazy side effect as a result of a thyroidectomy. Um, it's 2% of patients become hypoparathyroid as a result of that surgery. And I'm one of them. I fell into that 2%. And I am, I won't go into all the details, but I was in the hospital for almost three weeks. And um, wow. while they tried to figure out how to regulate my calcium, um, when you became as a nutritionist, you would understand, right? Um, you know, when you're hypoparathyroid, your parathyroid glands regulate the calcium in your bloodstream. And my body can't do that on its own. And it's such a rare condition. There's not like a standard medicine that's used to regulate calcium. And so they had, uh, it was a big old pin cushion and trial and error until they could figure out a dosage of a particular medicine that would get me off of an IV calcium drip, which sucked. <laughs> Don't recommend zero out of 10. Yeah. That wasn't fun. Um, but you know, and, and that was really hard. And, and so one of the, um, post-op elements you're supposed to do as a result of a thyroidectomy is you're supposed to do radioactive iodine treatment where basically you swallow radioactive iodine and it I envision it like Pac-Man like going through your bloodstream to like pick up any of the errant thyroid cells and so now I'm getting into the weeds because I've gone to the two percent now I got to start asking questions well what are my odds of recurrence well my odds of recurrence are about um, without without the radioactive iodine treatment about two percent okay well what are the odds of me having a side effect from this radioactive iodine treatment. Oh, about four to five. No way. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I, I just, I walked, I opted out because I didn't, I felt like, well, if I'm the one that falls into the weeds on this, you know, crazy hypoparathyroid thing, I'm not going to do the radioactive iodine treatment. So same thing. What do I need to do instead? Well, we'll do more blood tests. Great. No problem. I'll do, you can have as much blood as you want. Um, and here I am 10 years later and I'm fine. And I don't have no recurrence whatsoever. So again, you know, those things you learn, right? And then you fast forward to 2015. Now me and my dermatologist were besties. You strip naked. They will look at every single inch of your skin looking for any kind of errant anything. And um, she found a little nudge on my nose and it was basal cell skin cancer. And so the good news with basal cells is that it's very early stage. The downside is, and you can't see the zoom is lovely, kind of smooths this all out, mm-hmm. but I actually have a lot of freckles. And um, so when you have a normal skin tone, what they can do for this kind of skin cancer, like right on your face, is that they would take a little chunk of skin from your neck and relocate it to the top of your nose where my basal cell was. But unfortunately, because um, of my freckle pattern, you couldn't do that. Like I would look like I had like a patch on my face. And so that I needed to go consult with um, plastic surgeons to find out how to get the, how to remove the the cancer and then have enough skin to cover my face, right? That was the the goal. And so the first um, the first uh, plastic surgeon that I consulted with started talking about this crazy surgery where they would cut from the inside of my eye line all the way down to like following like the you know the, the laugh line in your face all the way down to kind of create an opening, and then they would use that to rearrange the skin on your face. And then I would have a C-shaped scar all along my face, and I thought, gosh, I'm going to be like disfigured for the rest of my life like that I mean I don't mean to be super vain but gosh that sucks like I don't really want to be scarred is there another choice and the guy was like nope when should I schedule your surgery and I was like "Mm -hmm, check with some other folks and so you learn right so then I went and I started looking for alternatives and said is there anything else out there and I started asking um, friends and family in the area and I found the the plastic surgeon in Kansas City who is known to be quote-unquote good with faces um, and I went to consult with him and he had this alternative um, treatment idea. And it was a newer surgery at the time where basically it was a two-part surgery where he would 
cut along the shadow of my nose and then they stretch out the skin, which you're awake for, which I do not recommend that sucked also. And then, um, like, you know, when you have a chicken, you're like stuffing like the herbs inside, like the skin part, like oh, that's what they were doing to my face. <laughs> but they did it. And then you walk around with this bandage on your, like sewn to your face for 10 days while the skin like loosens up and then go back for a second surgery and they close it back up. And, um, there's no doubt that that surgery was far more invasive and far more difficult to deal with than a single surgery, but I don't have a scar on my face. Right. And I chose it. And so like, it was so much easier to manage and right, Like, and like get over that, um, all of the side effects that come with that crazy surgery process when I chose it, right. I had just some agency in that decision. I think that that, that feeling of a little bit of control when you feel so out of control with a cancer diagnosis to me was, was huge. So then two years later, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, it was not, I was much more resigned, like, this is going to suck, but I didn't freak out. Oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Right. It's a very different attitude when, and maybe it's a little arrogant, but I've survived this three times already. I'll be fine. This is just going to be horrible, but it'll be fine. You know, it's a different attitude. So, wow. and I can see you're trying to ask the question. So much compassion for what you've been through. And I just see, you know, if you're watching, if you're listening, um, Liz is gorgeous and she's sparkly and you can feel her (laughs) infectious energy and she's still standing and smiling. And I think that's a cool thing when I meet survivors and talk to them like, yeah, we're beautiful people who are moving on with our lives. And sometimes the things that really suck actually do make you stronger and make you more resilient and, you know, a more um, deeper, more beautiful person. So I want to talk a little bit about the worst thing you can say to a cancer patient. Cause for me, I got so many, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I was like, first of all, don't say I'm sorry. You're sorry. I'm happy. It was caught early. I could be in much right. worse shoes because I mean, all of us are sitting here because of our, you know, again, you're a poster child for early detection because sure. yeah. everything was detected early. If you see something suspicious on your skin, get it checked out. It doesn't hurt to go to a dermatologist. Um, but I tell people like either say, say, how can I help you? Oh, I, I, can, I, you? can I challenge you on that? Sure. How can I help is the worst thing in the world you can say to someone, because how do you answer that? Right. Like, how can you help? Well, I would, I would say, sure. Bring me, you know, you could bring me a meal. uh, You could walk my dog. You could just listen to me, bitch. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I don't know I feel to me, but maybe that's individual. I got tired of, I'm sorry. Cause I feel like that's our default. So what do you, what's your answer when someone says the worst thing at a cancer patient? What, what do we say for people listening and going like, what do you say? I super hated, how can I help? What I would rather, because I don't know what to say. I don't know. How much time do you have? Do you, how much money do you want to spend? What's your free time like? Mm-hmm. So I would much rather someone come to me and say, oh my gosh, that sucks. I'm going to help you out. Here are three things that I think that would be helpful. Let me know, um, you know, let, is, is, is there anything else you need beyond? I'm going to grab your groceries on Saturday. I'm going to walk your dog. I'm going to take over your dog walking. And um, I'm going to, you know, bring over jello shots on Friday night, like whatever. Mm-hmm. And that that's going to be what and that's my plan for you. Is there anything else I can do so that you already put it out there? Like what you're going to do as opposed to putting it on me to come up with how you can help. Does that make or, sense? And that makes sense. I always say, go to the bombbox.com and say, yes. <laughs> I like this bomb box. Cause I think, yes. now, how did you, I'm curious, how did you come up with that idea? Cause it's brilliant. I mean, I was thinking, 
mine went, everything went so fast for me and yeah. it was summer. And so it's just a beautiful time here in Vermont. So I didn't feel like I needed anything like that, but I could imagine some people, particularly people with more invasive, extensive, and just wanting well, something to bring so a smile. Funny that you, idea. you talked about your, you know, your care and I'm deeply jealous that you had radiation. It was no big deal because I went into my radiation um, program thinking, you know, I run marathons. I'm fine. I'm not going to, you know, I have great endurance. This isn't going to affect my life at all. It's going to be just be inconvenient. Right. The only thing I had planned on was not driving my kids to school because I was going to do my appointments at 7:45 in the morning. So I could get to the office by nine. Like literally I, I was not going to let it be um, a hindrance. And, um, I burned to a crisp, but like I, they actually, I, my skin didn't just turn red. It mm. turned purple chunks of skin fell off. I had to pause multiple times to keep going. It was really hard on me. And at the time, so I was looking for all the stuff that I needed for radiation, things like I, and also you can't tell in this video, but I have larger tatas and walking around without a bra for me was not an option. Like I, especially I couldn't go to work um, where at the time I was an executive at a commercial uh, manufacturing company, um, 80% of the employees are men. I had to walk through the factory. I was not walking to that factory without a bra. Like that was just not going to happen. And yet at the same time, like putting on an underwire bra was just, I couldn't do it. It was way too painful. And um, so I needed like wire-free bras and I needed things that um, I could undershirts that would at least kind of hold me in tight and give me some feeling of support. I needed lotions. I needed ice packs that wouldn't leak through my clothes. I needed all this Stuff. And what people kept sending me were pink cancer warrior t-shirts and tote bags and coffee mugs. And it's so well-meaning. It really is. But I'm just not the kind of person that wants to run around wearing pink stuff and declaring myself a cancer warrior. Like that's just not my, that I didn't like that. I didn't, that to me was just, I was in my comfort zone. I didn't want to go around bragging about my status as a cancer warrior patient survivor. Like that wasn't who I, that was not appealing to me. And um, so you fast forward. And so I kept thinking, so you asked, you know, where the idea for the bomb box came from. And I kept looking for where's radiationrelief.com. Like where's, <laughs> where, where is this stuff? And it didn't exist. And I kept thinking this, there's gotta be a business here. And so you fast forward to the early days of the pandemic in the back of my mind, I'd been thinking about launching some variation of the bomb box and um, my husband and I had even started planning for it, right? The idea of like, okay, well, if I'm going to, you know, we're a two-income family, and if I want to go rogue entrepreneur, what's that going to really look like for our family? And, you know, we need to save money because we can't just go so crazy. And um, so anyway, I did a did some market research. And um, in the beginning of the pandemic, we sent out a survey to, to everyone we knew and asked people to share it. And it went viral because people were at home in the pandemic and bored and answering a survey was something to do. And we collected almost 600 responses, which was amazing. And the cancer patients, when you ask them, what are the things that you would like to receive as a gift or needed? All of them were functional, things like ice packs and lip balm and lotion, right? And the things when you ask them, what are some of the things that you, you know, on a scale of one to five, you know, how would you rate these things? Like, and the things that got the worst scores, the absolute nobody wants, kicking cancer tote bags, kicking cancer coffee mugs, worry stones, inspirational books of poetry. So, and then you ask, you ask people, what gifts are you buying? And it's mostly flowers and food, right? And so I thought, wow, there's this real disconnect, right? Between what cancer patients want and need and what people are giving them. And gosh, maybe I can connect those two things and that's a real business. 
So that's, that's how, that awesome. was how Bombbox no, was born. It's great. I wish I knew about it earlier in my diagnosis. So we only have about a minute left and I know Michelle's got a question for you. Michelle, can you <laughs> unmute and ask Liz a question? Oh my gosh. I actually have so many questions. Liz, my first question is when are you going to be a guest on my podcast? Because, oh, yes. <laughs> because I want to talk, I want to talk all about Bombbox. Um, cause yes. I do, I did follow you even before this. So I had already known about it. It's so fabulous, but honestly going through four cancer diagnoses in yeah. eight years, you are, you are like, as Dr. Ellen mentioned, you are incredibly, incredibly positive and you shine. Did you go to a therapist or literally is this just your, I mean, because I, I have a like huge, a minute left. I know so. I'm a huge therapy person, but is that how you got through? No, I, I wish I could give a better answer to this because people ask me this all the time and I will tell you no. And not that I, I think that's a great idea and maybe I should have, but at the end of the day, I do, I'm incredibly lucky that I have a phenomenal support network. Um, you know, one of the, the positives to me from cancer, if you go back to like, and again, I wouldn't wish on anyone, you wouldn't choose it. It's not on my vision board, but it did test my marriage in a way that, and it found it strong. Right. And so, um, and I found, you know, strength in that. And I found strength in, I had the most incredible girlfriends that threw me a finish line party. Right. You know, there's pictures of that on my website. And, you know, so I, I think that that support, so it's not like I didn't have support is what I'm saying. I just found it in other ways. Perfect. So thank just you. thank you. Just we're, we are out of time, but thank you all for watching, listening to Rock Your Midlife. Michelle, Liz, great to be with both of you. And quickly, Michelle, where can people find you? So you can find me on social media at I Never Liked Pink, and you can find Breast Friends at breastfriends.org. And Liz? Um, you can find thebombbox.com. It's T H E B A L M B O X.com, and we're on all the socials. Awesome. Thank you women so much for sharing your inspirational stories and thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to Rock Your Midlife. We hope this episode has helped you get real, discover who you are, and get the tools to navigate your life. Until we talk again, have a fantastic week and go rock your midlife.